Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world, you are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Nahum Klegman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach. Welcome to episode 38 of the From Entrepreneur. Today, I have another exciting, fantastic guest. A guy who, if you haven't heard of, or if you haven't heard of his company, you've definitely seen his work. There's no question about it. I've been following him and uh, the, the projects he's been involved with for, gosh, I guess at least 10 years or so. I would like to introduce to the show Barry Schwartz, who is, I believe, the co-founder of Rusty Brick. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so, I mean... First of all, I, 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 truth is, I don't, I don't think we've ever spoken, but there's been many times I said, well, I got to speak to that guy. <laughs> you know, he's definitely involved in a lot of different things that, uh, you know, that I've found uh, to be amazing. Why don't you give us a, br- a brief overview of what is Rusty Brick? Sure. So Rusty Brick is a company my brother and I started back in the 90s, I think 1994. It's a, the core- Did you say 1994? Yeah, we're actually in high school then. Um, that's when the name Rusty Brick came about. So oh my yeah, it's, its core focus is, at least today, is to really build web, web or mobile software to help business, businesses stay more efficient, make more money, and so forth. Um, we also obviously, as you know, do a lot of Jewish apps, the Artscroll app, and a bunch of the most popular Jewish apps that most from Jews have on their devices. And we do a lot of other things um, in the company, but our core focus is really as a web and mobile technology company, consulting company to build software for companies to make them more efficient and more profitable. Beautiful, beautiful. I can't, so wow, more than 20, 22 years you've been in business. Uh, yeah, uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> so tell me, how, first of all, where did the name Rusty Brick come from? You said you started in high school. How did that come about? Yeah, so my brother Ronnie, he's like the head technology guy here. We have now about... A little over 20 people uh, that work full-time for us, employees. And Ronnie's initials is RBS. So initially, he just tried to use his initials to come up with a company name while sitting in class in high school. (laughs) And he just put the words Rusty Brick Software together. When we finally incorporated the company, we dropped the software part and just called it Rusty Brick. We felt it had a a good catchy name to it. Definitely does. Definitely memorable. That that's fantastic. I had no idea about that. So, how has it been working with your brother for so long? I mean, uh, usually, you know, sometimes you hear families or brothers working together it doesn't always work out well. But twenty two years working together, how's that been? No, it's perfectly fine. We both have very different roles in the company. Like he runs up all the the technology side. He'll the implementation of the the software, whereas I handle more of the business aspects of it. So the client development, the idea generation. So most of the Jewish apps, or not most, but many of the Jewish apps and most of the Jewish software that we've built are mostly my ideas, but he actually implemented it or his team actually implemented it. So we have very different roles. He handles more of the technical aspects. I handle more of the business aspects in the company. And because of that, it, it works pretty well. Obviously, we're brothers. We get into fights here and there, but nothing too brutal right. where we're both surviving. We're both living <laughs> to this day. Fantastic. So you have 20 employees. They're all in your office? Um, most of them are. They're two, actually three that are remote, but most of them are in our office every day. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great. And I guess if you have larger projects, do you outsource at all or you still try to do everything in-house? We do everything in-house. That's one thing that really differentiates us is that we need to control timelines. We need to control quality and outsourcing, at least in our experience, we've seen that it has resulted in not being able to hit our timelines and our quality standards that we want. And it's, it's something that we want to, you know, we want to bring the salaries and the money in in the in there in our community and make sure um, not to outsource whenever we can. So we really do not outsource, mostly for quality control and timelines. 
Great. All right. So I, I want I'm, we definitely want to dig in deeper to some of these apps and some of these sites that you've built. But before we do so, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you come from, where you're born, where you live? Uh, I guess your brother also. Sure. So we're actually twin brothers, Ronnie and I. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So we've shared a womb, which is um, <laughs> and now we share a company. But uh, yeah, we were born in Muncie, Muncie, Muncie. Grew up in Rabbi Tendler, Moshe Tendler Shul, Community Synagogue of Muncie. Uh, we went to Adolf Schreiber Hebrew Academy, Ashar, growing up. Um, mm-hmm. Then we both went to TNEC, uh, TABC, uh, for high school. And then for college, um, I went to Baruch College in the city. Uh, Ronnie went to Ramapo because he was busy working full-time, and I was busy going to meetings in the city anyway. So I worked out pretty well. That's funny. But yeah, our, our schooling and everything is pretty... And we still are, we're still in Muncie. We're, our office is in West Nyack. Both of us are. Ronnie's in Pomona proper. I'm in like Suffern, Pomona, Wesley Hills area. All we're, right. we're still both in Muncie. And you're both married. Both married kids. Um, we send our kids to Ashar, so where we grew up. Um, oh wow! So we haven't really moved much in terms of our <laughs> upbringing. Or I guess our parents instilled in us, you know, staying, you know, close to close to them. So that's where we are. That's great. Uh, that's that's. Uh, I can't believe so. From the womb to grade school, high school, just in college, you took a little split, but you've been you've been carrying on this business through. You said you started in high school and then through uh, through college. Wow. So what like so you started in ninety? What were you building and like what was one of the you know first sites or first ideas that you you did back in the mid nineties? So one of the first I guess client websites we built was um, for a Chinese store in Muncie, a kosher store called Glotwok. I don't know if... Um, I remember them. Yeah. So they're one of the, I think they're one of the first Chinese takeout places in Muncie. Uh, we right. built them a, a website. It was pretty, basically a menu and a phone number. <laughs> Eventually, I think we added some like online ordering features. Uh, but obviously, that business is no longer around. Um, but that was one of our first websites. Then uh, we really got into building you know, software for companies. So doctor scheduling, patient billing, party planning software, time management software, task management, anything that um, will help a business run day-to-day that right. and just make it cloud-based. Or Back then it was called just web-based, but now it's, everybody's calling it cloud software, which is the same thing as building web software. Right. And now a lot of that integrates with web apps. You have remote workers who are out in the field. But one of our first website was for a monthly Chinese food store. So That's great. Yeah. That's great. And when you, build, when you, you said you build these specifically for clients, you build the software and then sell the software to the clients. So we build it. Work. The company will hire us to build them software. So they'll pay us hourly to build the software for them. Fantastic. And I guess you know, I was just reading. Um, I don't know if you uh, heard of James Altucher at all. No. But he was he was building websites also back in the mid '90s, and he, he was building for like HBO, Miramax, a couple of banks, and they were charging like he's. I was just reading about it today. So they said he used to charge like a hundred thousand dollars for a website back then. That today would probably cost I don't know about a thousand bucks to do. Have you seen the rates? Like, were, were, were people paying crazy prices back then? Well, it depends on how much work it needs to be. You know, it's, it's funny because we get phone calls all the time. You know, how much will it cost to build this or build that? And some people have expectations that it's like $100 to build an app or a website. And some people <laughs> are coming from the corporate world and it's like $100,000 to build it. And then there's those in right. the middle where it's, you know, $10,000, 30000 you know, 100000 or whatever. But it's, just, it's, it's insane in terms of the how widespread the, the these the cost is for stuff stuff like this. People call me like, oh, I want to build an app that does XYZ and they think it's gonna cost fifty dollars. I'm like, we're spending, you know, two weeks thinking about the design, four weeks right. showing you design options, you know, ten weeks programming it, and I have to pay salaries to do that. It, it, it sure. definitely costs money. Plus overhead. 
Yeah, I mean, we have our salaries that have to pay the overhead and the and the, uh, and the office and the insurance and of course all that stuff. But they don't. They just right. some people just don't get it. But <laughs> I've I was in there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but it's, it's interesting because you definitely could charge larger brands a lot more money. It's interesting. We do a lot of work for um, large agencies, so we'll do a lot of the programming for them. And they have these big clients, and the, these big clients are literally paying them like a million dollars, and our line right. item in there is maybe like a hundred thousand dollars. And we're right. doing all the work, and they're just like doing all the client communication back and forth, which is worth ninety percent of the project. Wow, wow! But that's great—you get to work with the agencies. I mean, they're they're masters, I guess, at selling and the the perceived value. I guess that's why the big companies will go with them, and then having you do the work behind the scenes—that's great, right? Exactly. I mean, a lot of large companies do come directly to us. We have clients like MTV, Harper Collins, Shet, and so forth. But it's more of the branding out there. People know of these certain companies. They might not know of us, and they might go with those companies. They might go with those companies before us because they are just aware of them. Or another company right. might have used them. They might have, you know, did work for this big brand, and they want and the other big brand wants to be to use them as well because they use this other b- 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 big brand. So it's all about you know branding, I guess. So what would you say is one of your you know largest projects that you worked on that you had that I guess was the most challenging maybe? So there's a bunch of challenging projects. All our projects are, are fairly challenging because we won't take it's on not a, just uh, simple informational websites anymore, huh? Right. We yeah we we won't take on basic websites or e-commerce basic e-commerce or basic websites. People come to us when the cookie cutter stuff is is something that. They, you know, can't be. You know, they, somebody can't do. So a lot of these companies will be like, all right, we have a client that uses us to do an e-commerce site, but we can't do this part of the business or that part of the business. So most of our stuff are really, you know, challenging aspects. On the more challenging side, I would guess is building out HIPAA compliance and PHI compliance, a doctor portal. So doctors could do scheduling, patient billing. We did it for a, a company called EMA over the years. They actually just recently got acquired by MSTAR, MCare, and it basically involved doctors, managing doctors and where they are practicing. So um, this company would run the emergency rooms for, I think, about 30 different ER departments. So if you walked into, I don't know, Mount Sinai Hospital or uh, Morristown Hospital, any of these hospitals in in those areas, the ER department, the doctors, the PAs, the nurses, the everything in there was actually not part of that hospital. It was outsourced to this company called EMA. So we had to go ahead and manage those doctors where they actually worked on multiple locations. They worked at Marstown, they worked in Nyack, they worked in different places. We had to you know, build a scheduling platform that used their sleep patterns to make sure they're most efficient, see the most amount of patients, build the most amount of patients, handle all the clinical stuff. So there's a lot of work that went into that. Not only that, but you're dealing with people's lives here. I mean, that, that's uh, talk about pressure. Yeah, but we didn't build any, we didn't build any like the scanning equipment and the <laughs> No, no, but still, like, if you get something wrong or something goes down or the software is not working or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, doctors pretty much knew where they had to be. They always printed out the stuff as well. So we always had uh, uh, fail safes in in place. But again, it wasn't life or death, really. I mean, (laughs) uh, it wasn't like we're. Yeah, it's more dramatic to say that, no? Yeah, it is. But yeah. Um, But obviously, keeping their patient data confidential and all that other stuff is very important. And having the insurance to cover yourself if you do get sued, it's it's also important. But, you know, honestly, one of the more challenging projects we worked on in the Jewish world was the ArtScroll app. Sure. So the ArtScroll app. How'd that come about? So obviously, we're pretty well known in the Jewish app world. I believe we reached out to them. They reached out to us. We knew of each other and we met with them, uh, Rabbi Mayor Zlotowicz and Mayor Pasternak and a bunch of the people there at ArtScroll. And we're like, you know, we should really do something. So... They hired us to build out the Art Scroll Shas after getting funding for the project. And wow. 
the, the, the challenge there was the app obviously has a lot of cool features. It's basically, it's a really hyper, everything's hyperlinked. Everything is, you can click on one piece of the DOF, it will hyperlink you to the Rashi Tosos and other areas. It's really, really smart Q&A and all those other stuff statements. It has a lot of cool features, different user interfaces. Is there a search? There's search. There's, there's all these cool things in there in terms of features, but what you don't see in the back end is all the actual content. And the content is, there's a whole back end database for, you know, managing the content, how the art scroll rabbinical, you know, digital team puts content into this database. There's a whole way for parsing the data as they mark up the data. They actually took all their legacy content and marked it up so that it could actually be digital. And the hyperlinks That's are digital. A massive undertaking. And we actually helped them build a platform so that all that data goes into some type of XML format. But the biggest challenge is making it secure. Artscroll didn't want anybody stealing their content. They have sure. they spent you know millions and millions of dollars building out this huge repository of content that nobody else really has has at that level. And they didn't want anybody stealing it. And anything in the digital world technically could be hacked into, and they were f- afraid of that. So making that very, very secure was the hard- biggest challenge we had because we had to make it secure, but also very fast to use. Whereas our other apps don't really have, or a lot of other Jewish apps don't really have that security layer. They were just really fast and easy to use, and you were able to quickly get you know into content and scroll through it fast and use it fast. The Art Scroll app was really locked down in terms of security. And that really uh, posed a challenge in terms of making the app fast and easy to use. So from, you know, the hospital stuff down to building a research or, you know, digital content app, there's challenges in everything. It's just, um, you know, how you implement it and how you manage the data and how you manage user interfaces to make it as easy as possible for the users, including the administrators, as well as the end users to use it. Right. Going back to just this, this article project, how do you, I mean, first of all, is all, is everything, has everything been digitalized already or? With Artscroll? Is it, yeah, the Gemaras. Uh, the Gemara, yes. Uh, everything in the Shas has been digitized. Um, not all their content. They have lots of content outside of Sure, Shas, sure. And always coming out with new stuff. Yeah. So, how, so I, I just try and understand, wrap my my head around how you take all of the Artscroll Shas and put it into an app. And have, with all the features that you have, is it? Did you have to build some sort of software that? I mean, you said you built some sort of template that they would. I mean, so, they already created it digitally. I mean, everything was was typed up. So like, it, I don't. Even it know wasn't a digital user. format. It was. Um, I forgot which they they use like Adobe um, something. And within Adobe, there there was a tool to actually go ahead and mark up and the, the content. And we they built up with us a path to. I'm not exactly sure on the actual details. Ronnie, my brother, right. is a more technical person, but basically they right. basically used the tool, marked up that content, and when they marked up the content, they were able to go ahead and pass that data to us after it was, went through an approval process into some type of um, Amazon Web Service repository that was secure and locked down. So basically all that content is in some type of XML format, which comes from Adobe into our secure database and then gets pushed up into the app when the content's unlocked by the user. That's crazy. That's just crazy. I mean, I mean, I've seen it before. It's so beautiful. It works, you know, works flawlessly, and it's just, you know, amazing what you can do with technology today. How long did the project uh, take from start to finish? I think a little bit in terms of our end building te- technology. I think it took yeah. under under a year. I think six to wow. six to nine months. It doesn't mean we finished it. We launched a phase one then, and right. we built it over the course of a few years, adding more features and so forth. I'm not sure, sure how long the the actual digitizing all the content took. It's, I think it took a, a, a few years. Wow, wow! But we, and are you, we try are you still doing more docs. stuff with Artscroll? I'm sorry. We try to stick with stick with the. Doc. I think the content writer, the content rabbinical content, uh, digital, digit, whatever they call them, the rabbi 
digital team, whatever they used to call it, um, they um, went with a DOF schedule. And now they're pretty much just tweaking and cleaning up any errors, which is amazing because you print something, it's hard for them to update the errors. You have to like, you know, release another version, but right. they're able to quickly push out updates to any errors, typos, whatever they have really quickly in this new system. That's great. And what's the goal with Arsk? Are they still, do they want to put the Ushami up there? What are, are they you putting, is there a continuous flow? Like, do they have like a plan for the next 10 years to keep putting uh, stuff uh, digitally? I don't know what their, I, I can't talk about their plans. Uh, that's not really something that I, I have access to. I know right. we've published um, a bunch of things with them, not just the um, the Shas, but also a sitter, of a sitter, a different sitter version with their sitter content, which is different than ours. We did their, the Hebrew version of the uh, Talmud. We did the Shulchan Aruch. We did the Masil Shisharim. The Shulchan Aruch? Yeah. Oh, Kitzer Shulchan Aruch. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I was like, what? The article came out with the Shulchan Aruch. No, no, Kitzer right, Sorry right, about that. Masil um, Shisharim, Daily Dose Torah, their Tehillim. And they have some other ebooks on there. So we've done a lot in terms of their content. There's always more, but their I think their path is typically they want to get a they want to get a um, sponsor before they actually go ahead and uh, do it. Sure. So let's talk about the the Jewish apps and sites that you've built. You know, is this stuff that that you basically invested the time and money into in order to get it launched? Do you own it? Do you find sponsors for it? What type of apps have you done, et cetera? Sure. So we've published a ton of apps. Um, you can get to it on rustybrick.com. Just click on the apps link. But it's for iOS and Android and some other platforms. But I think we built like 30 or 40 apps for the community. Wow. Some of them are free. Some of them are, are paid. Our most popular paid Jewish app is the Sitter app. It's probably the most used paid Jewish app in the market. Um, wow. It has a crazy amount of usage. Like if I look at right now at my real-time analytics, um, mm-hmm. there's probably like 100 or so people using it right now in the world. Wow. Um, that, that second, overlapping. And there's tons of like thousands of people who use it every single day. We have like Hebrew translators and Tehillim apps and an app, to, like a Tikkun app for people to learn their Bar Mitzvah parshas. We even have... Spheris Omer, I see, yeah, Jewish Radio. Our popular uh, popular Bedtime Shema app, which the kids love, uh, parents love using with their young kids. We even built an wow. app for um, if you're in the airport or you're in a stadium or something and you want to get a minion, you just press a button and it will notify 10 other Jewish males in the area around you that they need a minion now. It's kind of like a push notification to 10 other Jewish people who have the app saying, this person needs a minion in this location, can you make it or not? Wow. So we try to use leverage this technology to try to make the Jewish way of life a little bit easier, a little bit more fun, a little more creative to, to make things a little bit easier for you know being a Jewish from Jewish person um, in the world. That's amazing. So and and. So you who who pays for this? I mean, this is stuff that you like take twenty percent of your time when you're not working with other clients and say, "Hey, let's get let's do this app, let's create this." Yeah, so we funded ourselves. You know, the apps really don't bring us money. It's some our way of giving back a little bit to the community. I don't think any of our apps are profitable in terms of you know making more money back than we actually put into it. But it's nice; it's a nice thing to do. We're able to do it. I personally use the apps on a daily basis, so you know, we we try to build stuff that we think would make you know, your day-to-day life a little bit easier. And we look at those types of things. So I'm just scrolling through them. You have a ton of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a ton. Yeah. And you're still building more or? Yeah, if we have some ideas, we'll build more. And obviously, we think we, it's, it's hard to come up with new ideas now, but if you have ideas and you want us to build an app, definitely reach out to us. Obviously, people say, oh, you should build this type of text or that type of text. The hard part was like people telling us, you know, you should build a, I don't know, uh, whatever text app, we need to get the text from some location. Uh, it's hard for us mm. to get the text. Uh, we're a technology company, not a content company. Right. So that's our only challenge. But if you have cool ideas like, I don't know, 
like like the Minion Now app, which you know, it, which brings ten Jews together. That's something you don't need text for. We just need um, technology to make it happen. So we could definitely build anything. That's great. That's um, great. And what a service for the community. It's fantastic. Yeah, and outside of the app world, we do we do some Jewish stuff as well. Um, we built some software applications. One's called Shul Cloud. It's a synagogue management platform. It's used oh, by nice. over 400 synagogues right now, um, and it's wow. going incredibly fast. It's, we get about 10 to 15 new shuls signing up, and it's global. It's basically a – it's not just like the shul's website and calendar and stuff like that and, and the email communication. It does all of that, but it's really a member management platform. So keeping track of your members, the people records, like you know, you know, which – the family, like the Schwartz family has ex-children, their ages – any yard sites in the family, as well wow. as accounts receivables. So you send out membership dues and so forth. It's one of the, oh, wow. it's really a, a complete synagogue. I'm going to assume that's not for free. No, that's a monthly service. It's actually a nice growing business for us. It's it's nice. It's, uh, it's pretty much $1.99 per month uh, for a school wow. to sign up. And it's growing very well. Um, it's one of these, these platforms that really streamline a synagogue's operation. And it doesn't make a difference, orthodox to conservative to reform. They're all using it across the world from Australia all the way to New York to Canada, UK, um, Russia, everywhere, uh, Israel. They're all using it. Wow, that's fantastic. So and so, what what uh, what do you have? Do you have anything interesting in development that hasn't been launched yet that we could share with our uh, listeners? Yeah, so I haven't announced it yet. The Wall Street Journal. Picked, oh, good. The Wall Street Journal picked it up um, actually like a week or two ago, but we haven't officially. Rusty Burke hasn't officially announced it yet. It's the Jewish Ad Network. It's basically a way. It's kind of like I don't know if you know a Facebook marketing or Google Ads. Um, yeah, sure. Taking of course. that but building it into the Jewish world. So what I mean by that is. So we have this shul cloud network of, of synagogues where there's over a million users, people records in our database. And the shuls right. are looking for ways to make more money. They always need to raise money. And what they do is they have this real estate. They have their websites. They have their emails. They send out weekly emails or more, you know, several emails a week announcing what time Shabbos is or Mazel Tovs and so forth. And right. we wanted to build a way for the synagogues to make some money. So we figured out we'll build a Jewish ad network, which lets advertisers target data about what uh, in terms of what the schools have. So if, I don't know, let's say Art Scroll wants to go ahead and advertise, they could say, I want to target ads for our yard site books. They could create a yard site book ad and say, I only right. want to target people who has upcoming yard sites in the next you know, 60 days. And they can show an ad to those people. Wow. If, they're, if a kosher restaurant wants to go ahead and, like a pizza store wants to go ahead and market towards a specific um, location, let's say they want to target the Muncie region, they could say, I want to target 109.52 with, within a 10-mile radius and show ads for my pizza restaurant to those locations. And it's a pay-per-click or it's, it's a CPM basis. So every time CPM. the ad loads, uh, they get you know charged. And we what's, should, it, what's the CPM rates right now? Uh, for email, it's $50 a CPM. And for web, it's $25 a CPM right now. Uh, we split the revenue with the shuls. And it's, it's growing. We really didn't announce it yet, but the Wall Street Journal wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. And since then, it's just been crazy. People are signing up with it and using it. And it's basically a do-yourself you know, ad, ad system like Facebook would. Uh, right. And they can just go online, create your ads, post them, set your targeting, and just watch the clicks come in. And just for my listeners to, to remind them that all these things that we're talking about in the uh, episode uh, show notes, we'll definitely link to all these things. So you'll be easily able to find them just by going to fromentrepreneur.com. Wow. So the crazy, crazy stuff you're doing. <laughs> yeah. We're always, I can't believe we only have 20 employees. Yeah. We're pretty busy. Uh, <laughs> thank God. We're hoping Jewish Ad Network does well because it really will help the shuls make a tremendous amount of money per month from a revenue source they never tapped into before. Um, right. And that will, you know, make hopefully, you know, hopefully extra money will make things easier in the Jewish community. As you know, tuition and all this other stuff has been a, been a 
big struggle for a lot of uh, for a lot of the Jewish communities. So any way we can generate more revenues for the communities is is a good thing. Sure, for sure. And and, and but right now the it's only being served to people using the Shul Cloud software, or is there is it going to be you know, can other, I guess, uh, places pick up these ads? Yes, that's a good question. So right now we're we're working on just, you know, filling the inventory, the ad inventory slots we have on, on the Shul Cloud network. But once that is fully filled and God willing it will be fully f- filled, we can then go branch out kind of like an AdSense model and put the ad, let publishers like, I don't know, Jewish, Jewish Love Post or any of these websites out there, these Jewish blogs, embed code on their website to show ads from the Jewish ad network as well. Um, so our goal is to kind of like expand it that way. But right now we're just focusing on the shul inventory. And once we pass that, then we can expand beyond that. Excellent. Excellent. Great stuff. Great stuff. Let me ask you what, I mean, we already, I mean, I was going to say what really differentiates you between uh, you and your competitors, but I, I don't know of any other, I mean, I know a lot of Jewish media agencies and even the uh, Jewish website companies that, you know, they'll build websites, but I don't know anybody, I guess, in the firm world that that's on the same scale as you guys. So I guess your competition is more uh, outside the Jewish world. Is that correct? Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we're not really. Uh, I don't think people think of Rust. Uh, it's interesting because we had this issue where we just rebranded our website and our, our company just literally like a week ago. Actually, we could go Monday. And it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> really our, our main issue with our previous brand was that somebody talked to me and they were like, Rusty Brick, that means you do web software. Or another person would come to me and say, that means you just do Jewish apps. Or somebody mm. would come to me and say, you just do Shul Cloud. And then somebody would come up to me and say, you just do SEO because I speak around the world. Personally, my personal hobby is speaking about search engines and writing about search engines and how they work. So Really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys offer SEO uh, services we, as well? We don't offer the SEO services. I just personally write about it and speak about it at the probably the two most popular search engine sites in the world, um, Search Engine Land and Search Engine Roundtable. So I do that wow. between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. every morning. A lot of things going on. But basically, we had a branding issue. People thought we were one thing or not the other. So the new website was really about trying to communicate that we offer our core focus is offering web consulting services, software building for companies. We also have a nice slew of apps that we distribute. We also uh, we also have these applications like Shul Cloud and Jewish Ad Network, and you really don't find anything about our SEO stuff on there because it's really just like something I do on the side. It does bring in money for the company, but um, it's more of like a hobby for my for me personally. It's great. But in terms of competitive space, like so, in terms of just looking at the core consulting services, in terms of our web software development, uh, yeah, I don't think you would compare us to another Jewish company. They're, the Most of the Jewish companies out there you know, build WordPress sites or they do basic e-commerce or whatever it is. We really, again, build web software. We're more of like a, I don't know, like a, I guess maybe like an IBM in terms of building out custom software for businesses as opposed to building out a basic website for them. If the website does really cool stuff or needs really unique aspects, as you can see from our own website or our portfolio, we do some really nice websites, but it has to be sure. more than just a basic website or really advanced content management system, or really advanced workflow system, um, right. or whatever it might be. Fantastic. Now, I think I remember that I remember reading something about you guys with Google Glass that you were the first Jewish app for Google Glass. Like, is it? Do I? Am I saying that? Is that correct? Yeah. So we were one of the we, we got onto the Google Glass bandwagon when it came out. Um, right. We got a pair of Google Glass as part of the Explorer group, whatever they called it. And the right, first right. app we built for Jew, uh, for Google Glass was something we called Jew Glass. They made us rename it to Jewish Guide for Glass or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's now defunct, but it's basically a, it was basically a way to just you know look through your eye and talk to your Google Glass and say, you know, find me a minion, what time is davening, show me kosher restaurants, and so forth. 
when you walk That's into cool. a synagogue, it would prompt you saying, hey, we see you're in the synagogue. This is what you have to daven. You know, there's no talking today. It's hal- there's halal, it's Rosh Chodesh. Um, so it was <laughs> cute. Great. It was one of these gimmicky things that was really right. cool. You could find it on our website. Did they shut it down officially, Google Glass? I don't think it's – no, it's still live. It's still – if you have Google Glass, you can still activate it. But I mean they're actively selling it and marketing no, it. No, and- you can't buy it anymore. You have to like go on eBay or something to get it. <laughs> I guess not. Not everything works. I guess. <laughs> no, it should work. It's just they're not. They're not. They didn't think it would take off like they did, and it, it looks awkward. And I used to love it. It's just it's a little bit awkward to use, and people look at you weird. So uh, <laughs> I guess they're working on version two of it. I hear. Let's talk a little bit about about the uh, about digital watches, Apple Watch, and you know, what do you think? Uh, first of all, have you what have you what have you done if you've done anything for it? What do you think about the future of uh, of these digital watches? I think they're great. I, I personally wear an Apple Watch. We actually implemented parts of the Sitter app. Um, so if you go to rustybrick.com slash Sitter, you'll see screenshots of how the Sitter works on Apple Watch. Um, mm. And it gives you some snippets of prayers. Like it doesn't give you all chakras. It gives you like benching. It gives you mincha, marv. And you could, if you you know want, you could just do it on your watch. I never use it on my watch. But you get like notifications. So I could set like, you know, a mincha reminder 20 minutes before Shkia or something like that. And it'll pop up and say, you know, time to dive in, you know, mincha. Oh, that's great. And you can click on show the prayers or show find the synagogue. And it'll use your GPS on your device to actually locate, locate the closest synagogue to you uh, or minion to you. And it has a luach. It has... All these cute little things on it. It's really one of those things you want to glance at or get notifications about. So we really kind of build our, I guess, wearables apps. Even the Google Glass, which is a wearable, and the watches, which are wearables, has more of a, a quick sprint of you know either a notification, you have to do X, Y, Z now, or a reminder, or just a quick little glance of information that you might need you know, at, the finger, at your fingertips, like a quick benching or a... You know, or whatever, or a quick mincha, or whatever it is, or okay, show me, find me a synagogue, or you know, what, what is, what is, what are what are we praying today? What is, what's on the luach and so forth? What do you think is the uh, future of this watch? Do you think it's really going to go somewhere? Or is it also going to just be like a fad type thing? No, I think uh, watches are not going anywhere. I think it's uh, Google Glass was definitely a fad. The wearables people are wearing. They're wearing Fitbits. They're wearing smartwatches. They're wearing and- Google Gear. Apple Watch is selling really, really well. I don't think wearables. You know, people put on an Apple Watch. They they wear it. They they don't take it off. It's something that they they use. It's not like Google Glass where it's like awkward to to use it. Right. I have a friend of mine, Hill Fold. He's uh. I remember when he had a. I think he has an Apple Watch, and I think every time it was just like one time I was with him, it was just going off like every like two minutes. It was another message, another thing. It well, got a little bit right. Of fun, yeah. I mean, if so, you could disable and enable certain notifications. So if you, I uh-huh. like you know, I get tons of. I'm on Twitter. I get tons of tweets, so I have to disable. I get tons of emails, nonstop. So you got to dis- right. It would be nonstop. So you can you disable certain notifications, like direct messages. You can enable and um, certain notifications. You can enable and disable certain other things. Um, so it's a way you have to manage it. You just you can't just turn it on and say, "All right, let it go," because it will literally, you know, if you're if you're a guy like a fellow fold and myself, or we're on social media as much as we are, uh, it can right. really overload you. But for a normal person, it's 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 fine. You can, right. you can pick and choose what notifications you want, and it works pretty well. Cool. Now, you, you did something with uh, Nachum Siegel Network? Oh, yeah. So we built their um, app, their Nachum Siegel app. It's a very popular app. It gets a lot of usage. You could, I think you could find it somewhere. I don't know if it's on our website, but it's definitely um, on the Nachum Siegel website. And it, it basically, there's a whole back end for it where all the show archives go onto it. The audio files. This it synchronizes with their 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 audio system, and you can listen to live shows. You can share. You can you can comment on live shows directly in the app, and you can always listen to the archives at any time you, that you want. They're they're great. Uh, I'm sure you know them. They're they're fun and they're a great 
bunch of people over there. Yeah, yeah, really great people. Fantastic. Hazard, I mean, I haven't seen, but what have you, have you done anything or do you know if anybody has done anything really in the kosher restaurant world? You see in the non-firm world, you have all these different like open table, you have a lot of different apps or takeout apps specific, you know, in the, uh, I guess, the non-kosher industry. Have you seen anything, you're working on anything in the uh, kosher restaurant industry? There really isn't much. We have a kosher restaurant database. It used to be powered by a website called shamash.org. Okay. About a year or so ago, Shamash.org was acquired by a, a larger Jewish company, I guess. Not only acquired, but they took it over. And since then, the okay. data hasn't been updated. So it's really stale and out-of-date data. The co- it's, it's really bad. So, well, I don't want to say, you know, not just finding, but like what, you know, what's kosher? You could do a search. You could actually book maybe uh, a table. Yeah, so you know. we're actually thinking about, and my, Ronnie, my partner, my brother and partner, we, he's really pushing towards like we have to build out like an open table or a Yelp or whatever for the kosher Jewish market. But right. I'm like, we, we can't do everything at once. We are doing so much. And <laughs> I want to, you know, Shul Cloud is going well. I, I want to finalize the Jewish ad network. We have, we actually, re, we actually have all the designs done, the design mocks for the apps for the kosher restaurant database. That we built. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It's just we, for building this outright, we need to, you know, hire a team of people to just get the data from the restaurants. We want to put menus on there. Right. We want people to be able to order online. We want people to book tables. We want to do, we want to do it. Right people should be able to pay for it, I guess, even online uh, or through the app. Yeah, we want people to actually be able to, to, to use the app fully. And when, when Rusty Brick does something, we want to do it 100% the best possible way as possible. Right. And that's why we really haven't updated the current kosher restaurant app because it really is defunct. We want to build out a new one um, that has all these cool features from open table to online ordering to delivery to kosher finders and so forth. Fantastic. I, I know that will be uh, successful when that comes out. I hope so. Great. Well, let's uh, let's get to what we call our lightning round. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions and uh, see what comes to mind. You ready for it? Let's go. All right. So the lightning round. First, what is the best advice you've ever received? So my father always tells me customer is always right. And we live by that no matter what we do. Even if the customer is wrong, we always say, why is he, is he or she saying it this? And what do we do wrong in terms of either technical aspect or the communication aspect or whatever it might be across all our products from Shul Cloud to you know custom development to our apps? If they say something is, if they're not happy, the question is, why aren't they happy? Even if even if they might be wrong, there, there is some reason they're saying that. So the customer is always right. It's something we take very, very seriously and apply that to everything we do. Beautiful, beautiful. That's great. So that, that's from your father, that advice. Exactly, yes. Excellent. What book would you recommend to our listeners and why? So I really, I don't know. There's no like book that like made me go like, all right, this changed my life. <laughs> People do have books right. that changed their lives. Um, I spend a lot of time reading online. I don't really spend time much time reading books. But I recently, my, my mm-hmm. rabbi and KBY, Rabbi Bless, uh, got me this book called Commerce and Shabbos. It's very interesting for, you know, it discusses e-commerce business online, you know, accepting money online. You know, B&H's website is like offline. You can't buy anything on Shabbos. Yeah, that, that's that's cool. That's very So it has cool. topics like that. And for a person like me, a from person in the business online world, it's very interesting to read topics like that. So I, I found that to be very interesting. It's called Commerce and Shabbos. I think it's by Feldheim. Yeah. Um, so I definitely would recommend that for anybody who's from and in the internet world. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. By Rabbi Yosef Kushner. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Next question. What is one of your, I mean, this is probably crazy and you probably have like hundreds, but what is your, one of your favorite online tools or resources and what do you love about it? So it's a, it's not a hard question. So I was gonna I say, at my book. most people I ask a the question, they have their one or two things that they use Dropbox or whatever it is. Right. Um, so we, I, so obviously I have my apps. 
I live, I live on them. I love my apps. We have our own, we build our own software internally for our, comp, our customer, or for our, for our company, for managing our, our, our task and everything that's going on internally. So anything that I really right. want that I find critical, I'll build it. We're, we're a web technology company, so we build it. But in terms of third-party tools, I think the most important for businesses is Google, Google Analytics, Google Search Console. And uh, personally, I, I, in terms of resources and what I read, uh, I, I'm a big search engine junkie. So if anybody's listening out there, I would definitely recommend they take a look at Search Engine Roundtable and Search Engine Land. It really is a great, those great resources for how to use search marketing to enhance your business online. Excellent, excellent. What is what is something you've purchased recently for less than a hundred dollars that's had the greatest impact on your life? So it would probably be an online tool that I again I live with. It's called Feedly. It's like an RSS tool. I don't know if you know. Remember. Oh, they've been around for a while. No, they've been around for a while. I can't while. believe they're still around. I don't know when they officially launched Feedly. It's um, they replaced when Google Reader went down. They like became big. Right. I don't know if it's like, like two years ago. Maybe I'm not sure. But I'm a big RSS junkie, and without Feedly, I would be like dead. I wouldn't be able to like, consume the content that I need right. from tracking reputation management online. So I subscribe to, you know, whenever anybody makes a comment about Rusty Brick on the web or any of our apps or any of our products, I get a Google right. alert. But that's all fed through Feedly, so I can keep track on stuff. So that stuff, I think I bought it. I think it's free, but I think I paid like for the pro version. It's about a hundred bucks, I think, or whatever, whatever it cost back then. And it really probably is something that I use drastically every day to manage my business and as well as stay on top of my reputation and you know consume content i can't Excellent. stand getting emails you know newsletters and so forth i just <laughs> anyway try to keep your uh, your uh, email box uh clean as huh? clean as possible yeah <laughs> all, right. all right what is something you believe in that others think is insane hmm. so i'm not really the type of person that's extreme on any le- level um <laughs> okay. but i guess in the jewish i don't know maybe the more moderate jewish world i think giving up data and you know giving up you know your privacy and your data in exchange for a company helping you in your day-to-day life like google now or facebook knowing certain things about you or even our apps knowing stuff about you just to make it a little bit easier for you so right. like when you get in your car and it says it's x minutes to work apple or google says you know it knows your patterns and giving up that right. data People are like, oh my God, it's scary, it's creepy. The truth is, I think giving up that data is a really good thing. Um, it will benefit you in the future, assuming you could trust the companies like Google and Apple. And right. I do. I do trust those companies. I don't think they're going to... You can see in the past, they've done things to protect your data against the government well, and so forth. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Apple uh, recently with the terrorists. Right, Even the, I, mean, I think that like might be a California. little bit too, too extreme. But, right. Um, right. but yeah, I think... People are so freaked out about their privacy online, about you know what people have access to, what what are their data. I, I I think it's one is I think they're fighting a losing battle, and two is I think giving up the data will make their lives so much more meaning uh, efficient and meaningful um, that it's worth giving up. And I think some people think I'm I'm crazy for thinking that. You know what? I don't think you're crazy. I actually think all these people. I remember when when um, Google came out with uh, or Gmail came out with uh, ads in the email. And there was like such a ruckus about, oh my gosh, they're reading your emails so that they could put in the right advertisements into it. You know, I don't, I'm sure you remember that uh, when it first yeah, came out. Yeah. So Google just waited and, it out and, yeah. right, they just waited it out. And like nobody even thinks about it or talks about it anymore, you know, because, you know, Google's not sitting there reading your email. And the truth is, my personal thing is like, is I don't think that, like, let's say someone's listening to my phone calls or, or reading my emails. I don't talk or say anything or do anything in my emails that, you know, obviously there's some things, you know, you're talking about personal issues, whatever, that you don't really want people listening to. But there's nothing out there that, that you know, if you're, if you're 
afraid of someone listening or reading something that you're putting out online, then you probably should not be doing it. Right. No, I mean that, that's my feeling. I mean, yeah. I mean if you're doing something illegal, <laughs> you don't want people knowing about it. <laughs> of course. I mean that's but yeah, I mean so somebody uh, so I have some some let's say I have some weird rash and I do a Google search about it. What's the worst? Right. So I was gonna find out that I do have a, like, a rash and they're like, who cares? I mean, right, well, they're gonna start publicizing it. Ah, Barry's got a rash. Yeah, Barry's yeah, got so a rash. I, yeah, I hear you. I just um so some people are very passionate about their privacy and i think it's going to be honestly a losing battle and i think ultimately it will make their lives a little bit more efficient and beneficial if they give over that data so excellent excellent all right when you hear the word successful who do you think of and why i don't really think of any one person um it's not like a bill gates brother's gonna listen to this yeah it's not really it's not really (laughs) one person success honestly i I, in my mind success i just think of about a especially in a from world like a from a a happy from family happy children happy you know, marriage. At the same time, they're, you know, they're financially, you know, fit. They're okay. They're doing okay. They don't have to scrounge necessarily for money. That's really, really hard in the Jewish world when you're paying tuition. So usually the stress sure. of tuition and, and money and all that around that leads to all these frustrations in the family. So being, and no matter how much money you have, you know, you have people who make very little and people make a lot. It's not obviously money and happiness don't go to, together. I'm sure you've had these conversations in your show a lot. I just think, you know, yeah. being both you know, happy or truly happy in your family and at the same time financially secure with whatever you have. I think that's the true meaning of success. And, you know, there's obviously lots of people in the world that you could look at that I can I probably name off right now that nobody knows of. Right. It's like just my neighbor or this person or that person. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, right. but there's lots of people who have that. And that's always, that, that could change over time for people. And I think that's a true meaning of success. And that's... So, so fame is not, is not a... Uh... A good way to gauge success. No, absolutely. The most famous people out there are like, kill, you know, you hear about this, oh, this, this famous actor killed themselves or fame is definitely yeah. probably something you probably shouldn't aim for. <laughs> Causes a lot more stress. <laughs> you want to be more and more famous and just be happy and be happy with what you have. I mean, that's the, that's the most important thing. Great. Great. Okay, I have one more bonus question for you. Tell us about one business idea that you think would be fantastic for an entrepreneur to run with that you just don't have time to do. Does not have to be in the software world. So. I always wanted a tool that looked at the car leases for any car by yeah. month and told you when it was a good time to buy to get that lease. So if you know you're you know you want to get uh, I don't know a Honda Accord, the prices for these cars for for a lease for these cars could should drastically change from you know twenty dollars in March to an extra hundred fifty dollars for the same exact car next month. And I always wanted to build a tool kind of like they did with a. A company called Faircast that Microsoft acquired for booking flights online, telling you when it's a good time right. or not based on historical pricing. And I kind of wanted somebody to build a tool that does auto leasing like that. Interesting. That's one of the tools I have in my idea list that I don't think I'll ever get to. I have lots of ideas. <laughs> that's probably one idea that I don't think I'll ever get to. Well, that's a, that's actually a great idea, fantastic idea. Thank you. And I guess the lead generation off that idea could probably be phenomenal. So yeah. So if anybody builds it, I definitely want a percentage. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Barry, we could keep going. I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I love, you know, having followed you and your company for, you know, quite a number of years. I'm very much looking forward to to your future and to, you know, the the more products and developments that you guys do, especially for the Jewish world. I'm going to try out the ad network myself. I think that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. And thanks for everything you do. It's a great co- contribution to the Jewish from world.
I appreciate it, Barry. Thank you so much. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with Nahum Kligman. We hope you learned something valuable and will share this with your friends. For show notes, archives of previous episodes, and more information to help you start and grow your business, please visit our website, www.fromentrepreneur.com. Listen, learn, be Masliach.